friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to BQ&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Ricardo, minister to the Prospect International and Elizabeth Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. And I'm really thankful that God allows us to share His Word with you today. Wherever you're listening from, I pray that you'll be blessed by today's show. This week we are following the theme, The Bible, Many Churches, and the Rise of Cults. Yesterday we looked at what makes Christianity different from other religions. But today we will endeavor to answer the big question, why are there so many churches? Isn't that something that we we need to know the answer to? To help us with this question, I'm joined by my friend Pastor Marty here at the Faith FM studio. And Marty is the minister at Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Church and Grace Adventist Center, also right here in South Australia. Welcome, Marty. Hey, Pastor Ricardo. Great to be here again, and uh, what a what a privilege to be talking about such an interesting subject. Really exactly. looking forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to it as well, and I pray that God may inspire you as you share with uh, our listeners. I'm sure uh, a lot of texts from the Bible. Um, for our World Watch segment, I um, I want to share an article from Life Science, and it was published on. July 29th, 2022. And the title is, Why Does Christianity Have So Many Denominations? Maybe that'll set, set the tone for uh, today's uh, topic. And it says, Followers of Jesus span the globe, as we all know. But the global body of more than 2 billion Christians is separated into thousands of denominations. Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Apostolic, Methodist, the list goes on. Estimations show there are more than 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. and a staggering, listen to this, 45,000 globally, according to the Center of uh, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. So why does Christianity have so many branches? A cursory look shows that differences in belief, power grabs, and corruption all had a part to play. The early church, we're going to look at some history here, the early church, which spans from the start of Jesus' ministry in AD 27 to AD 325, roughly, was divided primarily based on geography. Worship styles and interpretations of Jesus' teachings varied based on regional cultures and customs. But there were also major breaks or schisms over Christian, uh, Christian theology during this time. One of the most notable early schisms, the Arian controversy in the early 4th century, divided the church of, on Jesus' relationship with God. Arius, a priest from Alexandria, Egypt, claimed that because Jesus was begotten or brought about by God, he was a lesser divinity than God. But Athanasius, an Alexandrian theologian, claimed that Jesus was God incarnate. This caused major upheaval in the Roman Empire, said Christopher West, a doctoral student of ancient Christianity and medieval studies at Yale University. It split Christians in the Roman Empire in half. 
the Council of Nicaea, a group of theologians and scholars gathered by Emperor Constantine I in AD 325, ultimately sided against Arius. But despite the church's official view, Christians continued to be divided on the subject for more than a century. On the subject of the divinity of Christ, that is. Then in um, 1054, or 1054, the Eastern Orthodox Christians split from the Western Roman Catholics in, what, in what's known as the Great Schism. The two groups disagreed on the taking of the sacraments, which are religious symbols believed to transmit divine grace to the believer. Furthermore, the Eastern Orthodox Christians disagreed with the Roman beliefs that priests should remain celibate and that the Roman Pope had authority over the head of the Eastern Church, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. There was even a temporary schism known as the Western Schism within the Catholic Church itself in 1378, when two men, and eventually a third, claimed to be the true papal heir. That division lasted almost 40 years, and by the time it was resolved in 1417, the, the rivaling popes had significantly damaged the reputation of the papal office. Despite this handful of schisms, the Catholic Church successfully suppressed other potential Christians, uh, Christian offshoots partly by sustained persecution, including actual military expeditions against some labeled heretics, but then also a new system of inquiries into people's beliefs called inquisitions. With the backing of secular rulers, heretics might be burned at the stake or forced into denying their beliefs, uh, Dyer made McCulloch told Life Science via email. McCulloch is a professor emeritus of church history at the University of Oxford in the UK. But after the Protestant Reformation in 1517, the number of denominations really began to multiply. Initially, there was just a few major Protestant groups, but ultimately the Reformation ushered in more Christian offshoots. By the 17th century, the contemporary word denomination began to be used to describe religious offshoots. Um, Michel Sanchez, an associate professor of theology at Harvard Divinity School, told Life Science via email. Protestants had used scripture to critique the Roman Catholic Church, claiming that any believer could read scripture and have a personal relationship with God. But then the obvious problem emerged. Whose interpretation of scripture was the right one? Sanchez said in an interview. I believe that's a, a fair comment. As believers debated the scriptures and sacraments, churches formed and split based on myriad biblical interpretations, ways of worship and organizational structures as well. From these debates, denominations such as the Presbyterians, Mennonites, Baptists, and Quakers, among others, took root. Although schisms may be seen as divisive or even uh, lead to violent conflicts between rival denominations, these splits do have an upside. There's kind of an anti-corruption mechanism in the fragmentation, as these splits can offer agency to people in lower social positions, Sanchez said. For instance, after the Reformation challenged papal authority, townspeople 
could begin to question religious authorities about corrupt or questionable practices. There's likely more denominational splitting and forming to come. More than that? <laughs> um, on judging the differences between them, McCulloch offered advice from Jesus himself. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Matthew seven sixteen. That is, you can learn about them in terms of what they do, their behavior, McCulloch explained. That's a pretty good test, I believe. <laughs> so, uh, Pastor Marty, do you think it actually matters which denomination we belong to? I, th I, I really think that that's a great question, and I suppose... I suppose the the only safe guide to answer a question like that is to go to the Bible because um you know it would be easy just to to comment but um mm. but let's see what the Bible actually says mm -hmm. about this you know it it says it talks about the church in uh, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 and it describes the church in this way It says, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Hmm. When there's a, there's a fundamental rule when it comes to trying to figure out, you know, or, or, or answer this question of, does it matter what church I belong to? The question to me would be, does it matter, um, how we actually believe? Does it matter how we believe? And the obvious answer to that question is absolutely it does. We either believe truth or we believe something that is not the truth, which is therefore an error. We either believe all of what God says to us in his word or we only believe part of what God says. And true, the true seeker is longing for an experience with God in which they live out their faith according to the word of God. So here's an eternal principle for us to follow. We don't go to churches in order to find the truth. We go to the word of God in order to find the Very truth. Very good. Very good. And then you allow that truth to guide you to the right church. A church that is the pillar and ground of the truth. Mm -hmm. A church that upholds the word of God and doesn't compromise on the teachings of Christ mm -hmm. and, and what God says in his word. Very interesting. And right from the Bible. So that requires, as I see it, a lot of um, honesty. And we need to be true to our conscience in that regards because we may come across some things or part of the truth That goes against our personal preferences, and that's when we need to be true to our conscience and say, okay, uh, I don't like this very much, but I realize this is the truth, and therefore accept it and, and follow it. That, that that's a way of life, isn't it? You know, oftentimes we have discussions uh, with individuals. Perhaps we even have discussions within our within our families, in our marriage relationships. And when somebody points out the truth, we don't always like the truth. True. Mm. But if our heart is humble, we are um, we're in a much better position to be able to embrace truth. And it's interesting that Jesus, Jesus. Basically, he describes that coming to the knowledge of truth is less a matter of how intelligent we are, and it's more of a matter of how how much I truly love the Lord, how much I truly want to do God's will. Right. And Jesus said in John 7, verse 17, he said, If anyone is 
wills or if anyone wants to and desires to do his will, God's will. Mm -hmm. Not my own. Not my own will. I want to do God's will. He shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my, on my own authority. So how do I know whether the doctrines, the teachings are from God or not? It's if I'm willing to do God's will. If I, if I say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you show me, because if, if we're not, then why would God reveal the truth to yes, us? Yes, if when, yes, if, yes. if in our hearts we're just going to reject that truth, you know, God sends the truth to us because he knows that we can embrace it. He knows that we, we, we are in a place in our hearts when we can actually make a choice to accept that truth. And so that is a, that's a, you know, that, that to me is encouraging because mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, it's not about being super intelligent or super smart or, su- you know, doing a PhD or, mm. or, or, no, it's just simply saying, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Exactly. I want to follow your word as you reveal it to me. So as long as we're willing to, to know the truth, we will find it. We will, we will. Yes. And the truth is precious. I mean, Jesus says, the mm. truth shall make you free. Wow. Yes. There are so many things, but particularly I think this is so important, when Jesus in fact warned that in the last days there will be a proliferation of false Christs, false prophets. Mm. And you could by extension say if there's false Christs, false prophets, there's going to be false preachers, there's going to be false churches. So, of course, it matters which church you're a part of because according to Jesus in Matthew 24, the majority in the end time are not going to be on the right track. Mm -hmm. And that's always been the case. Jesus said, you've got to go, you've got to walk the narrow way. The narrow way is the way that most people don't go because it's difficult. Broad is the way, Jesus says in Matthew 7, that leads to destruction. That's what most people Mm. go by. That's the majority. And so you've got to ask yourself that Mm. question and like, like you're saying, Pastor Ricardo, and honestly say, well, if I'm just following the majority, Mm -hmm. the chances are I'm probably not on the right track. Whereas if I'm just simply saying, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you lead me, then God can lead us to that right path. The other thing I wanted to just say is that truth can always um, bear scrutiny. In other words, you can you can scrutinize, you can look at something that's true, you can kind of challenge it in a way, and it, and if you do it sincerely, it will come out even stronger. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are many, unfortunately, there are many um, potentially even ministers and, you know, religious leaders who the moment you challenge what they say, what they teach, they then, they're not open to that. They, they, they close the door very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that would be a, a warning sign. That would be a red flag because the truth can always bear, bear up to scrutiny. Very important. In other words, the truth is always based on the Word of God, so it can stand the test. It can stand the test. It can. It can stand on its own two mm. feet. It doesn't need anybody else to defend it. It can no. defend itself. Yes, that is completely right. So that, that concept that, that if we honestly seek for truth, we will find it, it's, it's in many parts of the Bible. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he said, when he said uh, seek and you shall find. Mm. Seek as in do it on, uh, ongoing. Mm-hmm. Action. You know, keep seeking, and you shall find. 
It's not that he will come and say, this is the truth, you, you need to follow that. If, you're not, if we're not following, or sorry, willing to follow him, like you said before, uh, he may not you know, be able to show us what we need to know. Very interesting. Uh, dear listeners, as you can see, the Bible gives us uh, enough tools to test any denomination. But if you want to know more about that, please tune in on Friday, because Friday we'll explore this topic specifically. Let's come to some music now. Uh, the song is called Great is Thy Faithfulness by She Reads Truth.
She reads truth with great is thy, thy faithfulness. And dear listeners, our giveaway for this week is the book God's Truth Can Change Your Life by George Knight. If you want a free copy of this book, please text the code SA145, SA for South Australia, 145. No spaces in between. And our robot will make sure that you get that copy of your book very quickly. Text that code on 04888-808-11. I'll repeat the number, 04888-808-11. God's Truth Can Change Your Life by George Knight. Searching for life's meaning is universal. Every culture in every era has searched for truth. Truth that answers life's big questions. Truth that provides significance for daily living. Truth that is certain and beyond doubt. But truth has come on hard times. Have you heard somebody say it? You have your truth and I have mine. Really? God's truth sets forth the idea that there is truth not only in the material world but also in the social and spiritual realms. Truth that is foundational to personal and social health. Truth that transforms lives. Best-selling author George Knight explains the Bible's major themes in a manner that is both clear and brief. As such, it not only provides a concise introduction to the teachings of history's most influential and best-selling book, that's the Bible, but it is also an invitation to further study. After all, there is nothing more important than understanding God's ultimate truth about the world and our lives. I'll just share with you, listeners, some of the chapters here. There's 18 chapters, but I'll just mention a few of them. For example, creation or evolution. Another chapter is becoming more like Jesus, or what happens when we die, or what is Jesus doing now, just in case you were wondering. God's last message to a dying world, or judgment is good news, or another chapter is the hope of the world. So I think this is a very, very interesting book, um, a must read. So please text us the code SA145 on 04888-808-11. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A right across Australia with Pastor Ricardo. And my co-host today is Pastor Marty. He is the Minister of uh, Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Church and Grace Adventist Center right here in Adelaide. This week we are following the theme, the Bible, many churches, and the rise of cults. And the big question for today is, why are there so many churches? So, Marty, Christians only have one Bible. Why do we have so many denominations? This is a this is a very good question, and you know, like you said before, Pastor Ricardo, the statistics are alarming. There are forty five thousand different um, churches, you know, different groups ar- around the world. So here's the thing: if if you were to spend just one week, just one week of your life, thoroughly studying each Christian denomination officially registered. Mm-hmm. It would take you approximately 863 years <laughs> to analyze each different mm. denomination. Mm. 
And of course, that's without taking holidays, sick leave or long service leave. That's not having a single day off. That is every week. You know, that, that is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal amount of time. That's why we can't possibly try to, you know, find the right church just by going to all the different churches. Impossible. You have to go to the Word of God. Now, in the Word of God, we find some some very interesting passages, and um, I want to come to the book of Acts, chapter 20. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he made some predictions. He said, I know, and this is Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now, of course, Paul's not talking about literal wolves. He's talking about false teachers. He says, even from your own number, talking to the Christians, your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, from from this prophecy, we see that Paul is saying that from within the Christian church, men would arise who would distort the truth and draw away the disciples from the truth. And so, we see again, here's another verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you not to be soon shaken as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, what do you imagine, you know, this, this word falling away? So the falling away has to come before the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The falling away is the Greek word apostasia. Mm-hmm. And that, what, what does that sound like? Obviously, that sounds like apostasy. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying that before Jesus returns, the church is going to experience a dramatic falling away from the truth. Mm-hmm. So Paul's prophecies, number one, men from within the church will distort the truth and lead others astray. Secondly, that there will be a falling away, the church will go into apostasy. Now, have these prophecies been fulfilled? Absolutely. They have been fulfilled. If you look at the early church, the early church, there was only one church. In the book of Acts, there was only one true church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says there is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't want to have thousands of different churches. That's not his purpose. That's not his purpose. His the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ doesn't have multiple wives. He has one. That is the one true church. And so we see this in the book of Acts, but it didn't take long until there was a, there began to creep in false teachings and heresies into, into the church. And uh, let's, let's just notice a couple of these. Um, there's, there's a few of these. I'll, I'll mention a couple of them. There is, uh, Marcion. There is, uh, Montanus, Manny, Donatus, Pelagius, and various others who came in with various different teachings. Um, for example, uh, Pelagius, he 
taught that we would be saved by our works, by what we did. So these are the, were the false teachings that came into the church. And with some of these teachings, you know, disciples were drawn away, yes. etc. But the church as a whole, which was, um, uh, I think, in the fourth century known as the Catholic Catholicus, sorry, I didn't pronounce that very well. Uh, Catholicus, which I think is is um, you know where we get the English word Catholic, means universal. Mm-hmm. That was the church during, uh, I suppose, the centuries that came after the early church, and so. This is what Paul had predicted. He predicted that men from within the church would come in and they would distort the truth and lead others astray. That has happened throughout history. There have been various individuals that have risen up. But remember that Paul also said that the church itself, there would be a falling away. Well, in the early part of the 4th century, Constantine became emperor of the Roman Empire. And um, his kingdom, the, the Roman Empire, was on the verge of collapse. Now, in order to strengthen his kingdom, he sought to unite his kingdom by uniting essentially the pagan and the, the pagans and the Christians within his empire. Now, in the book Development of Christian Doctrine, we read this. We are told by Eusebius that Constantine, in order to recommend the new religion to the heathen, transferred into it the outward ornaments to which they had been accustomed in their own. So this was a very significant step in the, in the development of the church and in the falling away of the church. During the fourth century, there was this blending essentially of paganism and Christianity. Interesting. That's when the church became Roman. Correct. Pagan. Yeah. It, it, it took on many of the, those pagan Roman ideas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and unfortunately, that is a reality. From then on, the teachings of the church councils began to replace the teachings of the Bible. Um, the authority of the priests began to replace the authority of Christ. Human works began to be substituted for the grace of Christ. Um, salvation through Christ was replaced by the requirements of the church. And things like lighting candles and bowing down to sculpted images and worshipping the saints. And, you know, all of these things came into the church. You know, if you've been to St. Peter's Basilica, you can find there is in St. Peter's Basilica, there's a statue of Peter. But when you look closely at the, at the, at the statue, and as you understand the history behind this statue, you notice that, in fact, it is actually a statue of Jupiter, the supreme god of the sky, who wore the sun god on his head, and you see that. Now, when paganism was blended into Christianity, the idols and the statues didn't change. It was simply that Jupiter simply mm. changed his name to Peter. <laughs> and so this made it easier, you see, for, for pagans to worship with the Christians. They didn't mind transferring the name of their god Jupiter to St. Peter. So the same, many of the same rituals continued, but now they took on a Christian meaning. For example, Easter. See, this was a pagan uh, fest- festivity of the goddess Ishtar. Mm-hmm. And that's why to this day, when, when people celebrate Easter, there are chocolate Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. Now, why rabbits? Why eggs? These are symbols of fertility. Mm-hmm. 
These are symbols of fertility. They have nothing to do with Jesus at all. But you see, when Christianity merged with this pagan festival, um, this is kind. This is one example of 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 what has happened here. Now, when this happened, it was about thirteen centuries that the church that the world became into a period of time which we know now as the Dark Ages. Why right. is it called the Dark Ages? Because the Word of God was shut. Mm-hmm. The Word of God was concealed. It was written in, in Latin. It was written in a, in, a, in a language which the common people did not understand. Even the priests themselves, when they would, when they would read from the Scriptures, they didn't understand what it meant. They were simply parroting the scriptures mm. without actually understanding what it meant. And and so for from the fourth century for almost thirteen centuries after that almost the world was in this stage called the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. And so what ended up happening though towards the end of this period of, of the Dark Ages was was that um Essentially, there was a reformation that began to take place. Why did this reformation take place? Well, it took place because of the compromises in the church. It took place because God's word, ultimately, although it had been shut out to the majority of people, there were still sincere people who had studied God's word throughout history. There's always been a remnant, a little group. Faithful believers. There has, there has. In fact, even during this Dark Age period, there was a a little group, um, essentially that was that was called uh, the Waldenses. Now, just before I come to that, I just want to just want to dot point a few things of what actually happened. How Mm. did the church fall away? How did the church, Christianity, the medieval church, go into this state of compromise, Mm. this spiritual? Well, really, a, a state of spiritually, they were spiritually dead. Tradition came in and, and began to take the place of Scripture. Yeah, so basically, when, when Constantine became Christian, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that pagans became Christians, but Christianity became pagan. Correct. Some Someone once, you know, it's been referred to as baptized paganism mm-hmm. that was the term given to christianity through the middle ages so what had happened tradition had come in penance had come in that was that you could do you could be saved by what you did um indulgences came in you could pay for forgiveness images came in idols came in you could bow down to the saints and 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 you could offer up prayers to the saints um there was the church hierarchy was very firmly established so church councils and the popes etc had ultimate authority there were various other pagan doctrines um, that came into the church and then there was also coercion if you didn't go along with what the church believed you were you were persecuted you were killed um, you know and that's how the church essentially came into a state of total spiritual um, emptiness and, and darkness. And so, how? what happened? Would God's truth be trampled forever? You know, I love this verse in Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, But the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our mm. God stands forever. Mm. And that has been proven true. In spite of the fact that ultimately the devil has attempted to destroy the influence of God's word. He's tried to obscure it. He's tried to put 
tradition and church beliefs um, ahead of the word of God, God's word has remained remained a force that will not be destroyed. It will stand forever. And so even through the darkest times of this earth's history, God's truth has still remained. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I traveled to the to the uh, to northern Italy, to the Alps of Italy, and it was there in the um, in northern Italy that there was a group called the Waldenses. These people were hated and persecuted by the church, the medieval church, because they believed in the Bible and the Bible alone as the sole authority for faith and life. You know, as you travel throughout um, uh, Toro Polici and, and you travel through this region, this mountainous region, you see to this day there are still um, houses and, and a place of worship that the Waldenses used to meet in. These made out of um, stone, so they they had have to hide up in the mountains in small villages. They had to live in secret for many centuries, but they taught their children the word of God. The Waldenses they taught them from a young age to memorize large portions of the scripture. And and Pastor Ricardo, if only we could recapture that vision today, this vision where the people were so. They took the word of God so seriously. They mm. they loved Christ. They loved his word. They took the words of the psalmist seriously where the psalmist says, Your word I have hidden in my heart yes. that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse mm. 11. You know, God has said, The words which I command you today will be in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, these people, they loved the scriptures. They would write them out by hand on small pieces of paper. They would um, memorize them. When they would have opportunity to go and and, uh, and take their um, merchandise and mingle with other people, they would look for opportunities to share the scripture. They would try and do it very discreetly and very carefully. But wow. that's what they did. And so throughout the Dark Ages, God's word was still bring, being spread. God's the truth of God's word could not be completely shut out. So whilst at this time there was the medieval church, there was also the Waldenses. Mm. There was also the Huguenots in southern France. Mm-hmm. There were other groups. There was uh, there were Christians on the little island of Iona on the west coast of Scotland. There were there were true Christians, Celtic Christians scattered Throughout various places of of the earth, there was Christians in in Scandinavia, um, and so that is what had happened. Now, really, the Waldenses, if you look at their key principle that they operated by, they operated by the Bible and the Bible alone. Mm-hmm. That's what they believe was the source of truth, and so in a sense, this was a step back to reclaiming mm-hmm. what was lost through the period of the Dark Ages. This was a step forward to come back to the Bible and the Bible only. Were there further step forwards? Of course. Um, In the 15th century, uh, a man by the name of Jan Hus, he was Bohemian, now Czech Republic, and here's what he said, Obedience to God is my motto, not obedience to man. 
Mm-hmm. Now, he's almost echoing the very words of the apostles in Acts 5.29, yes, where they say, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so, th- here was this re... Um, here was this recapturing of the importance of obedience to God rather than man. Now, as a result, Jan Hus was burnt at the stake. He was burnt at the stake in the pra- in the town of Prague, uh, which is now, of course, the capital of the Czech Republic. And um, and so, but he had he had really brought about this emphasis on obedience. But you know, God's truth is always progressive. See, God didn't reveal all the truth um, to the Waldenses. He didn't reveal all the truth to Jan Hus. The truth was progressive. And so after Jan Hus died, here's the tragedy. His followers stopped studying, learning, and growing. They did, they did not continue to return to the Bible and keep growing and keep moving forward. They who, the, the people who followed Jan Hus became the Hussites. There was others who agreed with them, the Moravians, the Bohemian brethren, but they agreed with Hus and they didn't go any further than their leader took them. They stayed there. And so they didn't go back to the Bible. And that is, that's part of the challenge. And I suppose when we come back after some music, we'll, we'll keep investigating yes. this incredible history. That, that impresses me really, because we know by history now that all these people were willing to die for the truth. Okay. So maybe after the break, you can answer this question. Do you think they would have died for something they didn't believe in? It's time for some music, and let's listen to Matt and Josie Minicus with the song Lead Us Faithfully.
was Matt and Josie Minicus with Lead Us Faithfully. And dear friends, let me remind you once again, our giveaway for this week is the book, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. If you really believe that the truth will set you free, well, this is the book that will point you to the Bible. This was written by George Knight, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. And uh, if you would like a free copy of this book, just text the code SA145 to 04888808811. That's SA for South Australia, 145. No spaces in between. I repeat the code is SA145 on 8, uh, sorry, on 04888808811. So let me tell you a little bit about this book. Uh, God's Truth Can Change Your Life by George Knight. Searching for life's meaning is universal. Everyone's searching for truth. Every culture in every era has searched for truth, truth that answers life's big questions, truth that provides significance for daily living. But truth has come on hard times. Have you heard the expression, you have your truth and I have mine? Well, God's truth sets forth the idea that there is truth not only in the material world, but also in the social and spiritual realms. Truth that is foundational to personal and social health. Truth that, most importantly, transforms lives. Best-selling author George Knight explains the Bible's major themes in a manner that is both clear and brief. Let me share with you some of these chapters in this book. I find uh, these titles very interesting. For example, Creation or Evolution? Would you like to know what the Bible says about it? Another title is Becoming More Like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Another topic is What Happens When We Die? If you would like to know what happens after death, then read this book, which will draw lessons from the Bible, of course. Then, what is Jesus doing now? Have you ever thought, why is it that Jesus doesn't come to pick us up? What is he doing? Then read this chapter. Or, for example, God's last message to a dying world. Would you like to know what is God's last message before he comes? What about judgment is good news? A lot of people fear the judgment, but in real, the reality is that God's judgment is good news. And topics like the hope for the world. So I really recommend this book, uh, God's Truth Can Change Your Life. Text the code um, SA145 to 04888 and you'll get a free copy right away. Also, please make sure you use this number to text your questions, comments, or prayer requests. We would love to hear from you. 
This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back, dear friends. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Ricardo. My co-host today is Pastor Marty, and he is the minister at Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Church and Grace Adventist Center. As you know, this week we're, we're exploring the theme, the Bible, many churches, and the rise of cults. And the big question for today is, why are there so many churches? Pastor Murray, please continue to share with us those thoughts about uh, the truth in different stages of, of, the, of the history. So, Pastor Ricardo, you left us with a question um, before we came to the break. You know, these were these people willing to die for what they believed? They mm-hmm. absolutely were. They were. They knew that this was truth, and they knew that God had led them to that truth, and so they were willing to to die for that truth. And um, God sustained them through that hour of trial. Now. As we saw that apostasy came from within the church, so also reformation sprung up within the church. See, Jan Hus was a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. So was Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were others as well who came along who re- rediscovered more important truths. And, um, and they were people like John Calvin, mm-hmm. and so, you, and then there was the Anabaptists, and so you think about the different, um, different ways that truth was restored. See the Waldenses, the emphasis on the Bible and the Bible alone. Jan Hus, emphasis on obedience. Luther, the emphasis on grace, um, and then of course Jan Hus, uh, sorry, John Calvin, the emphasis on organization, on growth, etc. Um, and then, of course, the Anabaptists, the emphasis on baptism. baptism. But here's where the here's why we have so many denominations. You see, the Lutherans just stuck with Luther. Mm-hmm. The Hussites just stuck with Jan Hus. The um, various different groups trace their origins back to John Calvin. You know, would would uh, like the Presbyterians, for example, Presbyterians really their theology traces back to John Calvin and John Knox, and. Did they embrace baptism when the Anabaptists shared baptism? No, they wouldn't, because John Calvin didn't teach it, because John Knox didn't teach it. Therefore, they didn't accept it. So, this new denomination comes along because they've found more truth. Mm. And rather than accepting these new truths that were being rediscovered in the Bible... Or checking them (laughs) against the Bible. Or checking them against the Bible, they simply Mm. basically said, well, our leaders didn't teach it, so we're not going to accept it. Mm. You see, there's always a present truth for every age. It's a specific truth that God has for his people. He's called them to preach it in that time, and those who respond will be saved. So in the days of Noah, there was a present truth. If you responded to the message that Noah preached and got on the ark, you'd be saved. If you didn't, you were lost. Mm -hmm. Someone who might have accepted truths that that, are... were preached hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That's important to accept those truths, but we have to keep moving forward as God reveals more truth. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a beautiful statement that was made by um, John Robinson, and uh, his, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick it up. He says, um, the Lutherans cannot be drawn to go beyond what Luther saw. Whatever part of his will our God had revealed to Calvin, they 
they sorry, they will rather die than embrace it. And the Calvinists, you see, stick fast where they were left by that great man of God, who yet saw not all things. This is a misery much to be lamented. So, in other words, John Robinson, this pastor of the Pilgrim, of of the Pilgrim Fathers, you know, who were coming to America, he said, "Look, Luther led his followers this far. Calvin led his followers this far." But he said. Don't just, and he said, don't just follow where I lead you. Go beyond. He said, follow the word of God. Go beyond. Of course, along came John Wesley. John Wesley emphasized holiness. Along came uh, a man named William Miller in the 19th century who emphasized the second coming of Jesus. Um, and as God's truth has been rediscovered more and more, truth has been shining in an amazing way. In these, in these last days, Pastor Ricardo, wow. we have recaptured by God's grace the importance of his commandments. So we have to keep searching and searching for truth. Keep searching for truth. And the truth that God will reveal uh, will never contradict the truth that he has revealed. That's right. For us that's right. Past. So God's truth will build on the truth that has previously been mm. established. But... But it will build on that, and we need to keep moving forward with that. The Lutheran stuck with Luther. The Presbyterian stuck with John Calvin. The Baptist mm. stuck with the Anabaptists. The, the Methodist stuck with John Wesley. But we need to keep moving forward. And in the Bible's last book, the book of Revelation, it says that here is the patience of the saints. Mm-hmm. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Mm-hmm. God's end-time people are going to keep his commandments. They're going to put their faith firmly in Jesus. In these last days, the truth about what happens when you die, the truth about the Sabbath, the Relevant. truth about the the judgment, the truth about the sanctuary, these precious truths are shining brightly from God's word. They are being proclaimed around this world. And, and friends, as you're listening today, I, my appeal to you is simply to keep moving forward. Amen. And here's what I would say as well. I had a Bible study last night and we we talked about the story of Daniel in in the lion's den. And since it's you know it's a familiar story that the law was passed, you can't pray to any god except for the king for 30 days. As soon as Daniel hears this new law, do you know what he does? He goes and he prays to God. Mm-hmm. You see, here's the point. When you see what God is telling you to do, even if there are other influences that are challenging you, don't hesitate to follow what God says. Mm. Obey without delay. Because the moment that you hesitate, the moment that you hold off and you go, oh, I'm not so sure, oh, is the moment you allow doubts to creep in. And that's the moment that you begin and fears start to creep and you think, oh, if I embrace this truth, if I walk in that light, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to lose my job? Is there, is, am I going to have issues with my family? Yes. Follow Jesus as he reveals his to, truth to you in your word, we, in his we word. To, we tend to compare the truth with our personal preferences and, and <laughs> if they are we the do. same, then we move forward. <laughs> it shouldn't we be do, like but, but true faith <laughs> trusts God and I can just testify and say that when when we follow God's word, He will honor those who honor Him. He Amen. will bless us as we follow His word. Thank you so much, Pastor Marty. We really appreciate your um, sharing with us what the Bible says. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father, Lord. Thank you so much for your truth. 
as found in the Bible. We pray that you may give us that courage to follow what you say rather than what people may say or rather than following our own personal preferences. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dear friends, this is Pastor Ricardo, and our co-host today was Pastor Marty. Thanks so much for joining us on Drive Time BQ&A. Please join us tomorrow as we look at what makes a religious organization a cult. Until then, remember that God says, Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah 30, 21. May God bless you richly. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.